Uh, if you have Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Romans today, uh, Romans chapter 12. And we're continuing on, um, we're a little over the halfway point now uh, in this series called Rhythms of Grace. Um, I want to keep before you every week as we go through this series, the heart behind it, uh, which is that we want to, as a, as a community of Christians, um, be part of seeing people faithfully formed in Christ. Uh, we ourselves being formed in Christ and then being part of that in the lives of other people. Uh, and to do that, we need, as much as we possibly can, uh, a shared framework for what is a disciple of Jesus and how do we not only seek to be one ourselves, but to be part of making that, forming that uh, in the lives of other people. That's really the heart behind this entire series of Rhythms of Grace. We're looking at these nine rhythms, these nine practices that answer that question, what does, what does it look like to faithfully follow Jesus Christ? And these nine things are not by any means the, the exhaustive list of that, but they are nine things that are not trends or fads, but really have always been a part of what it means to uh, come after and seek to grow and be formed in uh, the knowledge and love of God. And today we're turning our attention to a rhythm that we're calling one anothering through spiritual gifts. One anothering through spiritual gifts. If that makes no sense to you at all with all those words, that's okay. Uh, I hope by the end of our time together this morning, it will make sense to you. But the idea is this, that in the New Testament, the church is called to all of these one anothering commands, these one anothering directives. Love one another, instruct one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. And critical to those one anotherings is this reality that each one of us has been empowered by God's own spirit, by the Holy Spirit, with gifts, with abilities that help us do exactly that, that help us carry out the one another's. And Romans 12 helps us see how God has designed these things to really work together and play out. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Romans chapter 12. I'll pick it up in verse 3 and read down through verse 10. I'll stop at verse 10 today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And this is God's word. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by you in your holy word, our hearts and our minds may be opened to receive all that leads to life and all that leads to holiness. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Uh, as we contemplate uh, this rhythm of one anothering through spiritual gifts, two things I really want to focus in on from this text this morning. Sobriety and selflessness. 
sobriety and selflessness. So first, let's talk about spiritual gift sobriety. Spiritual gift sobriety. Verse 3 picks up where we left off last week. We looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2 last week. And if you recall from that, Romans 12 is really a hinge in the letter of Romans, the book of Romans. For the first 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been explaining and extrapolating the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection. And it builds at the end of chapter 11 to this crescendo where Paul can't really contain it anymore and he just erupts in worship and he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Chapter 12 then turns a little bit and begins to flesh out what it looks like to live in light of the gospel, what it looks like to live in light of all of these truths that he's been explaining. So what does a faithful, what does a worshipful response to the gospel look like? And he starts, as we saw last week, by talking about bodily consecration. That's part of what that worshipful, faithful response looks like. And now here, beginning in verse 3, Paul says that faithful discipleship also requires sobriety, or sober judgment is the way that this translation puts it. In other words, that each of us who desires to follow after Jesus Christ must not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, this does not mean, as it's been taken sometimes throughout different tribes in the history of the church, to have a negative perception of yourself. What it means is to have an accurate perception of yourself. A perception of yourself, of who you are, of what God has given you, that flows from the kind of renewed mind that Paul has just finished writing about in the two verses prior. A renewed mind that can discern the good and perfect and pleasing will of God. Now, of course, this accurate perception, this accurate self-perception, much easier said than done. Much easier said than done. And it's not just those few painful examples on like the opening round of American Idol that lack self-awareness. When we actually step back and think about it, it's something that we're all prone to. We're all prone to lack self-awareness, at least in certain areas of our lives. In 1995, David Dunning and Justin Kruger uh, ran a study at Cornell University where they gave groups of undergrads at Cornell three different quizzes. And after taking those quizzes, they asked each student a very simple question. How well do you think you did on, that, on those quizzes you just took? How well do you think you did? If you had to estimate how well you scored in relation to all these other people who were in the room with you taking the test, uh, where would you place yourself? And what they found was that many among the bottom 25% of, re- of performers repeatedly estimated themselves among the top or better performers. So these people had thought they'd received Bs or B pluses when in reality they'd gotten Ds or Fs. And on the other hand, there were many among the top performers that tended to guess they were like right in the middle of the pack or maybe even worse than average among that group. So it can happen in multiple ways. In the years since, these kinds of studies have been repeated uh, across a number of different disciplines, a number of different fields, and the results are very often the same. Uh, one of the most painful uh, to read about this week was medical interns, and the, uh, specifically the procedure of inserting a catheter. Uh, so in one study, 80% of medical interns said they knew that technique so well that they were equipped to teach it to other people and newer interns that were coming in after them. Almost none of their instructors agreed with that assessment. And at least half of those instructors said, not only should that intern not teach other people, that intern actually needs to be supervised his or herself as they do it right now. They shouldn't even do it by themselves, let alone teach it to others. 
So we're all prone to, uh, at least in certain instances, drastically overestimate or drastically underestimate ourselves. To think of ourselves more highly than we ought, or to, on the flip side, not give enough weight, not give enough gravity to who we really are. And one of the primary places that this plays out in the church is with spiritual gifts. So God has given to each of us gifts. There's a lot that we have in common as the people of God. There's a common grace that God has given us. There's a common faith. There's a common indwelling of the Holy Spirit among all who put their faith in Jesus and his work. But the expression of our spiritual gifts is beautifully varied and beautifully diverse. This is one of a few places in the New Testament that we get this famous metaphor of the body. Uh, One body with many members, and members that do not all, as Paul says here, have the same function. We have, as verse 6 puts it, gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us. When we stop to think about that, uh, the design of this, the ideal of this is incredible, that, that we could have unity without uniformity, that we could have diversity but without division that often accompanies the diversity. But tragically, and in the absence of sobriety, the absence of sober judgment, we're inclined to instead develop either a superiority or an inferiority complex when it comes to spiritual gifts. And so I want to ask you this morning, as you reflect on this in your own life and in your own heart, which one are you more inclined to? A superiority complex or an inferiority complex? Every tribe of Christianity, every church, every gathering of Christians uh, has certain spiritual gifts that it elevates and other spiritual gifts that it tends to devalue in some way. Uh, And so this is a generalization, but in our tribe, uh, we tend to elevate gifts like wisdom, like knowledge, like discernment and teaching. We tend to undervalue certain other kinds of gifts, like service or prayer or hospitality or craftsmanship or mercy. The temptation uh, in our church will probably, therefore, be to start to develop a superiority complex if you possess one of those gifts, like wisdom or like discernment or teaching, and on the other hand, to develop an inferiority complex if you have other gifts that aren't, that aren't those. But I want you to think about this this morning. These complexes with spiritual gifts, they mar the very purpose of spiritual gifts. They mar their very purpose. The purpose of gifts is to build up the entire church. It's to make the local expression of each church a full and complete one, not lopsided, not lacking. And this is why sobriety, why this kind of sober judgment that Paul's writing about here is so important. So what I want to do for you this morning is in this ongoing struggle to have sober judgment, to have sobriety when it comes to spiritual gifts, here's two critical ingredients that comprise spiritual gifts sobriety. Two critical ingredients. One, learn to truly see spiritual gifts as gifts. Learn to truly see spiritual gifts as gifts. So this is for us a rhythm of grace because when we employ our spiritual gifts, all that we're doing in that moment is merely responding to the grace that God has shown us. Just as Paul begins this text in verse 3, it's the grace of God that has been given to Paul. Uh, the one who called him to be an apostle, the one who gifted him in teaching and other gifts, the one who empowered him by the Holy Spirit, that he's even writing uh, to us about these things and teaching us about these things. If we're inclined toward superiority, 
then seeing spiritual gifts as gifts reminds us, what do we have that we did not receive? What do we have just in and of ourselves? We have nothing, we possess nothing that we did not receive from God. And that we have as much to do with, and we can take about as much credit for our spiritual gifts as we can for our own physical birth. But this is also the corrective to inferiority. Because as those who are receiving these gifts from the hand of God, we can have complete confidence that there is deep meaning and design and purpose for why we have the gifts that we have. And I would submit this to you for your consideration this morning. People often become reluctant practitioners of spiritual gifts because they are first reluctant recipients. We're we're often reluctant practitioners of our gifts because we're first reluctant recipients. In other words, we think God made a mistake. We think we ended up with the short end of of the stick, drew the short straw. Uh, We don't really value the gifts that God has given us for what they are. But if gifts are really gifts, if we learn to see gifts truly as gifts, we will neither arrogantly take credit for them and use them that way, nor ashamedly hoard them or hide out with them. And instead, just like as Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends them out around the towns of first century Palestine, and he says, freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. And so as Paul says here in verse 6, having these gifts, different as they might be, let us actually use them. Let us use them. That's one critical ingredient of sobriety. Number two is this. Perceive yourself as integral, not the ideal. Perceive yourself as integral, not the ideal. So true or false? The church would be a better place if everyone else was more like you. True or false? Um, If we're honest, we probably have all answered true to that statement in our own perception at various times in our lives. Uh, But the answer is false. It's patently false. Those prone to the superiority complex tend to put themselves on a pedestal and think the church would be better if everyone else were a little bit more like them. Those with an inferiority complex put someone else on the pedestal. But, but But it's just as faulty, though it's different. Whoever you see as that ideally gifted Christian the church would also not be a better place if everyone was a little bit more like them. Here's the reality of the good news of the gospel. There is one ideal son of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the church would be better if everyone were a little bit more like him. So by all means, put Jesus on the pedestal, keep Jesus on the pedestal. But for everyone else, recognize there is not one ideal Christian. There is not one ideal set of spiritual gifts. There is faithfulness with the gifts that you've been given. And there is fulfilling your ministry, as the Apostle Paul calls Timothy to do in a different letter. There is seeing the integral place that you and your gifts have in the church without thinking more highly of yourself or more lowly of yourself than you ought. So may we be people who are always characterized by that kind of sober judgment and sobriety. Second, Let's talk about spiritual gifts and selflessness. Selflessness. The the biblical bedrock of relationships are these one another's of the New Testament. This is the bedrock for relationships and community life among Christians. Uh, They're what inform our understanding of godly, healthy, thriving community life in the church is and what it looks like. Uh, They compel us and they call us to care for one another just as Christ cares 
for us. And to, to transform us into a community that's not focused on ourselves, but where we are focused on those who God has divinely placed around us. An essential part of one anothering is putting our spiritual gifts into practice. And Paul fleshes this out, not only here in Romans 12, but a little bit more in another letter, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12, he writes this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. In other words, you have gifts, and they're not for you. They're not primarily for you. You have gifts, and they are for the common good. And this is why there's such a a close relationship between our spiritual gifts and between these one another's. And so it's no surprise here in Romans 12 that we find two of those one another's in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So first, love one another with brotherly affection. Let's ask and consider this sincerely in each of our hearts this morning. Do you love other Christians? Do you love other Christians? Are you pursuing love for fellow Christians, and especially the fellow Christians that God has placed in close proximity to you in your life, those in this church, those in the communities in which you run? Does your service, does your teaching, does your mercy, your hospitality, your generosity, your leadership, does that reflect genuine love for other Christians? Men and women, the Christians that God has placed in your life and around your life, they are your spiritual family. They are your spiritual brothers and sisters. They are those with whom you share a common identity, a common destiny. But in our own selfish perception, we often allow Christians to become reduced to a stage, to a platform whose primary purpose is for us to showcase our spiritual gifts. I would call you this morning to rail against that temptation to reduce people to a platform on which you get to do your spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not meant to be a talent show. Um, They're not meant to be a performance. They are rooted, and we see this so clearly in Romans 12, they're rooted in relationships. And the thing that keeps them relationally rooted that way is this genuine love, this brotherly affection. Now certainly, as Paul is writing here, there are differences in spiritual gifts. Some are more behind the scenes, some are more visible, some are on the very front lines with people all the time, some are more in support roles with people, but people are the point of spiritual gifts. Building up the church, building up the body of Christ, that is the point. So if people are an obstacle to you, if you just want that venue, if you just want that platform to exercise your gifts, but you don't want to be burdened with real people who are going through real life, that's a distortion of the entire concept of spiritual gifts altogether. There's a, a saying in business Uh, that I remember hearing from my dad very often as I was growing up. It it goes like this. Don't let the customer get in the way of doing business. You hear the irony in that? Don't let the customer get in the way of doing business. Well, apart from customers, there's no business. And we can apply that same line of thinking to the church. If people are getting in the way of us exercising our spiritual gifts, we have a selfish, flawed perception of spiritual gifts. If you find yourself thinking... Don't let the church get in the way of me exercising my spiritual gifts. That's, that's off from what the whole purpose of spiritual gifts is for. The second one another here in verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, in 2009, Michael Jordan was, introdu- uh, was inducted into the Professional Basketball Hall of Fame. 
Uh, Michael Jordan, arguably, you can have these debates on your own time. Uh, the best player of all time, easily, undeniably one of the most talented. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows it. There's nothing left for Michael Jordan to prove in the realm of basketball. So in a moment that was specifically designed by other people to honor him, you might think that he would use his Hall of Fame induction speech to pay tribute to the people who helped him get there. And I guess in a way he kind of did. He paid tribute to himself. He honored himself. Uh, the most gifted person with the least to prove spent his induction speech recalling and then dishonoring people who had created difficulty for him along the way. And the awkwardness of that and the arrogance of that was only further highlighted because David Robinson was also inducted to the Hall of Fame the very same day. And David Robinson used almost the entirety of his speech to thank and to honor other people. Robinson thanked his family, including his three sons who were there. Michael Jordan told his three kids he felt sorry for them because they would always live in his shadow and never measure up. And it got so bad, it was so rough, that John Greenberg, who's a writer for ESPN, concluded his article about the speech by saying this, I miss Michael Jordan the hero. I don't really want to know Michael Jordan the man. Showing honor is not something that we're meant to do for ourselves. We're not meant to show honor to ourselves. But think about this. All people are worthy of honor. They're worthy of being shown honor for the ways they image God, for the way they reflect our good creator. But the design of God is that we don't show that honor to ourselves. We show honor to others. And in that way, everyone is honored. To direct that kind of honor, to direct that kind of attention to ourselves immediately reveals selfishness. It immediately reveals the arrogance in our own hearts. So we are, as Paul writes here, to outdo one another in showing honor. We are to affirm and to identify and then to encourage and to honor one another and specifically honor the evidences we perceive in another person's life of where the Spirit of God is at work. In 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul fleshes this out more, he writes, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. So when we think about spiritual gifts and this command to outdo one another in showing honor, we're likely to honor the more visible gifts. But Paul here, alluding to the less visible or the invisible parts, like internal organs, for example, says those are the ones we should actually bestow greater honor on. And in a very paradoxical kind of way, it's really honoring to my internal organs that we don't ever talk about them. That we take them for granted. It means we take them for granted 99 or 100% of the time. They're functioning the way that they're supposed to, so we don't think or talk about them. So I don't often stand up anywhere, especially here, and like publicly honor my kidneys, pay tribute to them. But the fact that I don't, and the fact that I'm not bedridden, is every moment a moment that honors that the kidneys are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. A friend of mine who's my age has had three kidney transplants over the last 20 years. And when he's on dialysis for hours each and every week of his life, ask him if there aren't moments that he would trade a sense of smell or hearing or maybe even sight for a kidney that actually functioned the way that it was supposed to. And I say that to make the same point that Paul's making here. If we see the different kinds of honor that God has given to each member of the body of Christ, 
And if we believe that not only does my place have honor, but so does yours and yours and, and yours, and if our focus is not on receiving our own honor or building a case for our own honor, but bestowing honor on others, the entire body of Christ will in that way be built up and will be honored the way that God has designed it to be. In his commentary on the book of Romans, the reformer John Calvin said, there's a bond of fellowship when no one has sufficient for himself, but is forced to borrow from others. And he goes on to say, I admit therefore that the fellowship of the godly exists only when, there, when, when each one is content with his own measure and imparts to his brethren the gifts which he has received and in turn allows himself to be assisted by the gifts of others. Do you hear this, the sobriety and the selflessness in that? And I would call us as a church family to let this be our hope and to let this be our aim, that we would grow a deep and genuine love for one another as we receive and rely upon the gifts that God has given the other people in this room and as they receive and rely upon the gifts that God has given to you. If you feel undervalued, if you feel unused in your gifts, one way to miss would be to come arrogantly and presumptuously to demand you have a place to use that in a certain way. And if that's where you tend to, to err in this regard, I would call you, my encouragement to you would be to hear Jesus' instruction in the parable of the wedding banquet, where you sit yourself not at the high place of honor next to the head of the feast, but you sit yourself at the low end of the table and you wait to be called up. The other way to miss, though, is to hide. It's to withhold. It's to not sit at the table at all. It's to isolate yourself from community where your gifts can be identified and can be utilized. So believe, if that's you, that you have valuable gifts to offer and that we need them as a church family. And not only we as a church family, but the kingdom of God in the Harrisburg region needs them. So don't hide and call that humility, which I think is our temptation sometimes, to hide and to call that humility. It's really not humility. It's actually selfishness to withhold and to rob others of the gifts that God has given you for the common good. Now, these aren't static states. Uh, this is an ever-changing, dynamic pursuit. So sometimes uh, you'll find yourself frustrated because you feel like your gifts aren't being used the way you'd like them to be. Maybe then you'll find a sweet spot and there'll be a season where you're really running right where God has designed you to be. You'll be like, um, the guy in Chariots of Fire's name escapes me right now, and you'll feel God's pleasure every single moment of your life. Eric Liddell, Eric Liddell thank you. Um, and then maybe you'll do that for a season of time, and then you'll feel exhausted and burnt out, and you'll wish somebody else had that gift, and they could step up and do it with you so you could take a break. All that to say, it is easy to miss each other on this, and in the, in the heart of one anothering, of building up the body of Christ through spiritual gifts, this needs to be a dialogue and one that we carry out with grace and love and humility in all directions, flowing from the unity of the Spirit and for the common good. So make that commitment to one another here in this church because we are the body of Christ, and as Paul says, individually members one of another. And the last thing I'll say to you this morning, and if you hear nothing else, hear this. You do not have to, in this church family, distinguish yourself, prove yourself, Jockey for position or make a name for yourself. And that is because Jesus Christ has already given you a place. He's already given you worth. He's already given you through his spirit gifts. And he's already bestowed upon you in all of that honor. 
living, dying, rising, ascending, and then sending his spirit, the one ideal son of God has already, as the apostle Peter writes, granted to you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence. And in that spirit, may you be free to use your spiritual gifts, to possess spiritual gifts sobriety, to employ your spiritual gifts selflessly, to pursue, to practice these one another's of Christian community with genuine love and affection for your spiritual family, taking every good and perfect gift that God our Father has given us and using them for the good of others. Freely you have received, so freely give. Amen. Let me pray for us. You are God, our Father, the giver of every good and perfect gift. You are unlike earthly fathers, our own and ourselves as we become fathers, ones who change and shift like the shadows. You are constant and you are good in your constantness. And we are grateful to you for that. That is our hope and that is, our, that is the bedrock of our lives. Jesus, we are grateful to you that you, the one ideal son of God, entered into this brokenness of, of our world and our lives and you bought us with your own body and blood. And as we come to the table this morning, renew our, an accurate perception of ourselves, that we were those who rebelled and needed salvation, but we were those who you counted worthy enough to enter into the world to save and to rescue and to redeem. And seeing accurately who you've made us to be and the gifts that you have given us and their value, may we be people who put them into practice with great sobriety and with great selflessness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.